Her name is Ginny Shimitsu. She's like no one else we've ever seen before, and she's just as comfortable on a Harley as a catwalk. Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. This episode is a deep dive that kind of had to happen. I've been creating quite a few TikToks on models from the 90s and obviously many times when you think of models from the 90s you think of certain names Linda, Naomi, Cindy, Christy they're all known by their first names but I really wanted to focus on Jenny Shimizu. She for me is someone that absolutely stands out if you were to compare her to the models of the time super or otherwise. I think whether you're around in the 90s and you've got your favorites or whether you are just discovering them now through TikToks and YouTubes and content, you would be quite right in thinking that many of the 90s supers in particular were these glamazon types, statuesque, curvy or super skinny like Kate Moss. Depending on the year, the 90s was definitely split between curvy models such as Cindy Crawford when I say curvy, I mean, they probably weren't any more than a UK size 10. But compared to the likes of Kate Moss, these teeny tiny, often referred to as heroin chic type models, waifs, very, very slim. It kind of split into those two schools. But they were all very beautiful. And they would often be styled in similar ways. Makeup would be often hypersexualized, all about the lips and the eyes, just very, very glamorous. Even if it was thin eyebrows, thick eyebrows. I think one thing I've learned in even doing my 90s beauty moments series, I think many of us can think the 90s was just skinny eyebrows and dark lip liner. But there was also a movement in there that was about thick eyebrows and red lipstick. And so there's quite a few different looks. And that did also come down to the models themselves. One thing I do think we had back then, I think everyone had their own look. I don't think everybody looked the same when it came to their features. And, you know, this is before Instagram and filters and looking at social media that starts to make you think, well, I should look that way. We have so many beautiful models today, obviously, but many of them can kind of look similar to one another. But back then you would see these Glamazon ideals and then you would see a different type of look we would see models such as Omira Mota, Eve Salvai, and of course, Jenny Sumizu, who I'm talking about today. These are women that would often be referred to as androgynous models, meaning they don't look particularly feminine. They might look more masculine. And when we talk about feminine and masculine in this context, I'm talking about the quite stereotypical connotations. Female is curvy and soft and masculine is hard and toned you know just for argument's sake that's the context I'm talking about for me Jenny Shimizu deserves her own episode and it could be much much longer to be honest there's just so much to her I feel that she's very important to the world of fashion and culture for the Asian community for women that don't feel like they see themselves there are like these three key reasons for me. One is her openness and activism around her sexuality. The second is her race. 
And the third is, of course, her look. At just five foot six with a very slight but toned build, Jenny Shimizu looked more like a car mechanic than a runway model. And that's because that's exactly what she was when she was discovered. She was a car mechanic. She's often referred to herself as a gay Japanese mechanic with short hair and tattoos. So even that little description there should tell you that Jenny didn't really look like anybody else back then. And if anything, she would probably do really well in the world of modeling today if she was still active. But before we get into what she's doing today and her look and her discovery story, I just want to go back a little bit because I feel that's what I tend to do when I have guests on this podcast. I love to talk about what they're doing right now. But for me, it's so important to look back and find out how they grew up, how they were treated, what kind of traditions they enjoyed or endured. And I think it's those formative years and experiences that make us who we are. So for Jenny, who grew up in South California, she had both her parents were third generation Americans from Japan. And she has mentioned that from as young as the age of eight or nine, she knew there was something different about her. She felt different and she felt that this difference meant that she wasn't normal. And normal is such a loaded word today, I feel like what is normal. But back then, I'm guessing normal did not mean being gay or being a little girl that thought she could be gay. She's expressed that she felt a lot of guilt and a sense of otherness. But one thing that does come through is that her parents were very supportive of her and that it was actually her mum who encouraged her and helped her to cut off her hair when she just felt like, I don't I don't want this thing that kind of labels me a certain way. Her parents would also go on to join civil rights group, parents, families and friends of lesbians and gays in Los Angeles. So that support has obviously kind of held her throughout her life. In a 2001 documentary called Sexuality that I've only managed to find clips of on YouTube, I think there are nine different people on there that just talk about growing up and discovering their sexuality. And Jenny is one of the people that takes part. And there's a scene where she is talking about how she was really keen to get rid of her virginity. She calls it de-virginizing herself. She said all her friends had done it. So she literally just looked for a man. She hated it. And it was when she was 14 that she kissed a woman for the first time. And that told her that relationships are more about intimacy and closeness. And seven years later, she decided to come out. And through everything I've read from her, she says that the 90s were very different to the 80s. I think she felt a lot happier in the 90s because it started to become a time of great freedom and self-expression. And she's someone that definitely takes part in protests for gay rights from back then to today. And she said that they were always peaceful. And whenever you read anything that she's been interviewed for, she absolutely seems to look back with fondness at the 90s, but not necessarily for her modeling career. We'll get into that. So talking of the modeling career, that is the one part of this episode that's taken me the longest to really kind of confirm. I'm really conscious of confirming things. And you might think that it's easy because we have Google, you know, you can Google anyone, but there are lots of different interpretations of certain people's stories, especially when it's someone whose story is, you know, they're not a Beyonce, 
they're someone that was absolutely relevant to culture and fashion, but perhaps not to people in the mainstream. So I read so many articles and I was like, yep, I finally found the discovery story or let's call it her origin story. I had decided that the story I was going with, the one that I'd read the most often was that Jenny was spotted outside a Los Angeles nightclub climbing onto her motorcycle by Swiss photographer Michelle Compte. And I really ran with this version. I even filmed and edited a TikTok on this already. And then I found another article and this one was an interview with Jenny. I found this article for a now defunct magazine. Can't find it anywhere. It's called Micro. I think it was just around in the mid 2010s and for a couple of years. So it's called Micro and somebody has taken that article and put it on their site, which is called Cargo Collective. And in this version, it's an interview with Jenny. So I'm, I'm definitely taking it as from her mouth and she explains her origin story very differently. Thankfully, Michelle Compte is absolutely in this story. So that's one thing that I got right. But yeah, I've had to delete that TikTok and re-record it for you. So according to this article, Jenny says it all happened one night when she was invited to a house party. I don't think she knew whose house or whose party it was. It actually was a birthday party and Michelle Comte, the photographer, had hired this house to celebrate his birthday. But as with most photographers, myself included, you still like, even if you're celebrating something, you're probably still going to want to have a camera around, especially I imagine back in the 90s, like we had just film cameras. So it's very about capturing a moment to enjoy later, whereas obviously Instagram and has made us kind of want to re-enjoy the moment two minutes later after it's happened. But yeah, so he invited a bunch of people around and was just like, have fun, run around, do whatever. But meanwhile, he was photographing them all for Vogue Italia. Nobody had a clue. And when Jenny was asked if she felt like she was being exploited, she she said no. She said it was just a fun time. And she even comments like, that's what I remember as being fun before things got too serious. And I think she definitely had some darker times in the modeling industry. And we'll get into that in a little while. In an interview with Refinery29 back in 2017, she said she never planned on being a model and that being a tattooed Asian lesbian isn't exactly the recipe for the next it girl. And that actually did make me laugh because we're kind of talking about the return of the it girl lately, um, certain YouTubers and TikTokers. I don't think the it girl really went away, but I definitely feel that she was a very 90s and 2000s type of person. But last year or throughout the pandemic, we had that girl. I did an episode on that, on what it takes to be that girl, which was more like it's for everyone to be that girl, but an it girl kind of stands alone. So yeah, obviously... Jenny saying she would never be an it girl back in the 90s. She also often said that she would never consider herself as beautiful. Like when she was asked, did you ever feel beautiful? She was just said no, because a gay woman in the 80s, that there wasn't room for you to be beautiful. You were labeled as queer and different and other. It just wasn't in her vocabulary I guess to think of herself as beautiful let alone a model 
Jenny is often also talked about growing up during a time of the AIDS crisis and the intense homophobia, but she definitely found kind of a home within activism groups such as ACT UP, and she still supports those groups today. But regardless of her not being the usual type and not being the it girl, she absolutely went on to make major waves in the fashion industry. The next thing that happens with her is that she's introduced to Calvin Klein and his wife, Kelly, and he just says, you're coming back to New York with me. Compared to many of the models of the time at 24, Jenny was actually getting into modeling really late in life. Many of the supers that we know today would have started in their mid-teens, perhaps even earlier. But it doesn't matter how late it is. When you're having a moment and when you've got someone as influential as Calvin Klein, one of the most important American designers ever, telling you that you're going to be the face of his brand new, never really done before unisex fragrance, you kind of have to run with that moment, I think. So even though she didn't plan on being a model, I think she knew, I'm going to listen to this guy. The fragrance I'm talking about, of course, is CK1. Really want to know if you know how it smells. I can remember, I've, I remember it feeling very citrusy and fresh. I definitely owned it at one time in my life. I think I just liked the very unassuming frosted glass bottle. Um, it kind of looked like you were carrying, you know, when you watch war films and they'll have um, those metal canisters of water with a little screw top. <laughs> it felt very um, practical and yeah, it's just like it wasn't a, a fancy perfume bottle that was pretty. It was just like practical and functional. CK1 was absolutely era defining, mostly because of the campaigns that were created around it by photographer Stephen Mizell, one of my favorite photographers. And those ads would run throughout the 90s. And I actually made a video purely about the CK1 campaign because I do think it's truly iconic. And as I said, I think it defined an era. But for an era defining fragrance, you absolutely need to stand out and it makes sense that Calvin Klein would choose Jenny Shimizu alongside the likes of Kate Moss. She features throughout the ads as well. But I feel that Jenny was at least another version of youth in the 90s because in those ads, body types were pretty much the same. Pretty much all white people, maybe the odd black woman, the odd black male, perhaps. But Jenny was the only tattooed, smaller Asian girl with a cropped haircut. So I think she absolutely would have pulled in people that were like, wow, I've never seen anyone that looks like that before in an advert. So from the CK1 ads, Jenny would go on working for all the big fashion houses you'd see on the runway for the likes of Jean-Paul Gaultier, Donna Karen, Yoji Yamamoto. But I would say the two high points of her career kind of happened at the same time. She walked the runway for Italian fashion house Prada. She was the first Asian model to walk for the brand and she was the first minority model to open the show for them. And diversity is something in modeling that it really comes and goes. And I've often said on this podcast, for me, it's absolutely a trend. I do not believe the fashion industry is really interested in diversity. So again, that's another reason why I had to make this episode about Jenny, just to really like... I'm staking my claim that just how important she was and is. So while her modeling was taking off, 
Jenny would also be linked to the likes of Madonna, who seemed to take a liking to her after she appeared in the video for her Rain single in 1994. And she soon got into acting and she made a pretty big impact on an, a major actress, actually. I'm talking about Angelina Jolie. And Angelina and Jenny met on the set of Foxfire, which was a 1996 teen drama about five friends who bond over beating up a teacher who has been abusing them. So it was on this set that Angelina first saw Jenny and she has said that the second she saw Jenny, she fell in love. And she even went as far as to say that if she hadn't been married to British actor Johnny Lee Miller at the time, she would have married Jenny instead. So they did have a short-lived relationship and what Jenny did for Angelina was send her on a journey of discovery, let's say. Um, Obviously, we know many of Angelina's male partners, such as Brad Pitt, but she definitely set off on this kind of experimental phase. And also for Jenny, she actually ended up marrying Michelle Harper in 2014, who is someone that's hard to pin down. She's often described as a socialite, but she does not like that um, label. She's a creative and brand consultant. That's what we say. And she's definitely known for her look. And when Michelle and Jenny got married, the fashion magazines, beauty magazines were just in awe because they do make a striking couple together. So that was back in 2014. And today, I think we don't have many recent articles or interviews with Jenny, which is a huge shame. So Jenny, if you're listening, I'd love to invite you on. But I feel that the most recent articles we've got all come in around 2017. And that's because at that point in time, she was taking part in a campaign for Hourglass Cosmetics. They had this lipstick line called Girl. So obviously Jenny had to do, you know, the kind of like the marketing and PR around that. So she appears in several articles in 2017. And in the article I mentioned earlier, that cargo article, she kind of reflects on her modeling career as a time where it was like this weird phase of her life. The person interviewing her asked her if she went into modeling in the hopes that it would make a difference to how queer people were seen. And she replies, It was a very confusing time, honestly. I was at protests fighting for gay rights and then I would be in the bathroom doing coke with some designers. These were incredible times. There was so much beauty, but so much sadness too. She goes on to say that she never felt at home in the world of modeling. She felt like she wasn't meant to be there, which kind of takes me back to how she felt when she was growing up, feeling guilty for who she is not being allowed to be that person. And I don't say all that to say what a sad life she's had because, you know, she's still here. Like I said, she's been married since 2014. She still loves to work on vintage cars. And in one of the interviews that she did back in 2017, I really enjoyed it. It was an interview with Allure Magazine. I'll leave a link for you in the show notes. And in that interview, she says that she loves to be called handsome. She much prefers that. And she also says that she's never felt her age. She just is who she is. She doesn't put an age on it. Over the years, her career took her from modeling to becoming a model agent for elite model management. And again, in these 2017 articles, she shared a few times that she was actually training to be a Los Angeles police officer. And I can't lie, as somebody who comes from a community where 
we don't have a very positive view of police in the UK or in the States. It's It often seems like a scary place to be, actually, when you're in a minority in the States. But Jenny said in an article for Refinery29 that being a police officer had always been in the back of her mind because she really wanted to serve her community. I think she's always looked back with fondness on her so-called extended family within groups such as ACT UP and Queer Nation in South California. She got support from them over the years and obviously education, information. And I do find it heartwarming that somebody cares so much about what they were given that they want to give back. I do wish that more of us were like that. I think things could be a lot better. She also refers to being a police officer as a peace officer. So that should give you an idea of exactly where her mindset is. And I just wanted to close this episode with the final quote from that Refinery29 article. She says that being a police officer is a way to make a positive impact and that it means, quote, it means treating every individual with respect, fairness and without judgment. Education is a great destroyer of fear and fear is what keeps our communities apart. I wanted to end on that note because her comment really spoke to me about where we are today. Online communities in particular could do with getting a little more educated. I feel so many of us have access to the internet through our phones, computers, laptops, whatever you want to use. I feel there is so much information out there, as I said, and there's a lot of misinformation too. But what I've learned very recently, particularly on TikTok, actually, there is so much judgment out there online. And I think it's because you get to be this unseen person, just literally pouring hate on another human being. And I don't get it. I don't get why you would rather hate than not kind of educate yourself on who this person is, what they stand for. So I really do love what the kind of person that Jenny Shimizu seems to be. She just genuinely seems to care about her fellow human beings as someone who's probably lived quite a privileged life through her modeling. The fact that she cares so much, it definitely speaks to me. Speaking of TikTok though, and, you know, getting my facts straight, I have re-recorded a video about Jenny because I think you definitely want to see this beautiful human, especially if you've never seen her before. So go look for that over on TikTok at Sharice Kenyon, and I'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes for you. I'll also leave links to all of the articles I've mentioned if you'd like to read more about Jenny. In the meantime, I'd really love to know what you think. And have you heard about Jenny before? Who has meant something to you in your life? Are there any models out there that have made you feel seen? Or do you just have a favorite model purely based on their looks and style? Is there someone you'd like me to focus on for a future episode? Let me know. Get in touch in the DMs at Beauty Me Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also email me direct, beautymepodcast at gmail.com. Did you know you can now listen to Beauty Me on Amazon Music as well. I'm getting out there. I am so happy that more people can find me. But what makes a huge difference with people finding the podcast is you. 
If you like what you hear and you haven't subscribed yet, please hit subscribe or like an episode, follow me on Spotify, write a review on Apple Podcasts. There's so many options for you to support the show. And don't forget, I've also got a newsletter, beautymenotes.substack.com, where I'll often share imagery to go with each episode. So you can sign up there for free. Thank you so much for listening.